0: Hello and thanks for listening in. Ever want to expand your repertoire of global cuisine? Ever just get bored of the same old repetitive home-cooked meals? Well, Simply Cook have done all the sourcing, the grinding, the measuring so that you can cook some of the world's most delicious meals in just 20 minutes using their recipe boxes. You can cook things like chipotle glazed pork, Thai green curry, even vegetarian gluten-free recipes also. I have an affiliate link in the description where you can start your trial for just £3 and you get to choose the four meals you would like to learn how to cook. NHS staff get 50% off. That all being said, let's get into the show. Right, folks, Um, on this episode, I have uh, a friend of mine, Kieran O'Hara, he's also known as the Bike General, and uh, just wanted to talk to about him with his experiences on cycling um, and training for cycling um, and ways that he sort of looked at improving performance and everything. Um, he's been uh, riding now since 2011. Um, he was actually in, in Australia, um, and he was introduced. Um, Kieran, do you want to... Say hello and sort of tell me where it began, how, how it started in, in Australia.
1: Yeah, uh, how's it all doing? Thanks for shooting. me. Uh, things actually started in Australia in a kind of funny way because uh, I actually didn't really know what a road bike was until my now wife moved out to Australia with me and she was adamant to buy a bike so she could commute to work. Hmm. So we went to the shop together, she bought a road bike, I tried it before we put it back in the car, I liked it, and I went into the shop and I bought the exact same bike in a bigger size. <laughs> so over the next couple of years, things developed in Australia, I of course upgraded my bike, like everyone else got a lot more serious, had to all the kit, Yeah. and that's sort of where things began in terms of cycling for... Enjoyment or training or, yes. or pleasure, as you want to put it.
2: Um, uh, did you
0: um, just get started in, in Australia? So how long were you out there? Was it just like more of the hobby then? There was nothing sort of, um, uh, you're not looking at anything competitive out there. You just sort of enjoyed it?
1: Uh, at that stage, yeah, it was just it was just more enjoyment and getting into it. And to be honest, I didn't really know many other people that cycled out there. So start was just on my own just exploring around uh i did join a couple of club rides then but with my work situation there i've been working away so i wasn't doing it was a gradual build-up i wasn't ever doing as much there as i'm doing now mm-hmm. uh things kind of really took off then in terms of maybe volume or the amount of cycling when i moved to london in 2013 yeah uh, when um, we moved, uh, yeah when go we, ahead when we moved to London, uh, we, 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 we both decided to, first of all, we did a cycle tour around Ireland, the two of us.
2: Yes. Together.
1: Yeah. Uh, you were actually one of our sponsors as Sonus.
0: As Sonus, yes.
1: Yeah. We did it as a, we did it as, as a, fond, a fundraiser for the cancer sport at Fort Hospice. Yeah. So me and my wife spent 10 days cycling 200 kilometers per day around the circumference of Ireland with my wife's father and the support vehicle. And total, yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, What was the best thing about that? Because 2,000 kilometers, I mean, you must have seen some good days, some bad days, some horrible weather, some good weather, some beautiful scenery. Um, Can you sort of give us highlights of what you sort of enjoyed on that? Well,
1: the the best thing about it, probably that came out of it was, if you really want to, Test your relationship <laughs> with your spouse, and you go cycling together. And to be honest, we didn't have a single, not even a falling out. We didn't have a single bad word to say to each other the whole way around No matter how, for no matter how hungry either one of us was, uh, I had a I had a little bit of a knee problem. So in the morning, Amy would kind of get us moving, get us warmed up, and then after that, we would. Uh, I would kind of take over and either break the wind or paces or so we, we, there was still a big discrepancy in our fitness. I was, I was much fitter than me, but we worked really well as a team. Mm -hmm. Uh, the only, the only really problematic issue that sticks in my mind was one day, we got a puncture and it was quite a cold day in Wicklow and we had just had something to eat and we were really struggling. I think it was our eighth day and I being a bike mechanic, fixed the puncture inside about three minutes when Amy sat in the car and she was almost in tears having to get out of the warm car so quickly and get moving again. But uh, yeah, that was, that
0: was one of like the fix. A F1 fit, uh, pit stop just as quick yeah, as you could. You, you changed it. as
1: quick it. as we could. It was.
0: Um. Did, did you have like with that road bike that you had? Uh, you, obviously, you can take the bike, uh, the bike wheel off a wee bit quicker. There's like a snap on and off lever. Was yes. that the type it was? Or was it, it wasn't bolts? Obviously, if you're changing the bike. No, it no,
1: quick. it was a it was a quick release skewer. So yeah, it was easy to get off. So yes, yeah, so it literally was Formula One style <laughs> uh, puncture repair.
0: Very good. That's excellent, man. Um, did you ever? Did you just have to enjoy the time on the on the bike? Did you get a time to kind of take foot photographs or enjoy the scenery? Obviously, you're exposed there. You, you 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 can see a lot more on the bike rather than a car and stuff too. So, um, was there any sort of uh, counties that you saw that was my favorite county whenever you were going around Ireland or? Uh, there, there is
1: there is memorable moments along the way and certain things you see mm-hmm. uh looking back on it now i've i've now gone around ireland four times either on a bike or with a bike part of the team so <laughs> right. nothing really, nothing really stands out on that particular one it was just more the yeah we, we weren't really rushed every day we had the support vehicle to feed us we if we saw something nice we stopped and took a photograph mm-hmm and we have a lot of photographs and so, um, we often look at the photographs and we can, we can pinpoint where we were and what happened that day and yes. and, and, things, and things we did. So, yeah, there's nothing really sticks out of my mind in regards to a favourite place, but right. a lot of favourite moments.
0: What about the planning, the logistics of it and stuff? Did you did you be the type of person to kind of plan a lot and stuff? Did it kind of yeah. go to plan and work out well for you? Well,
1: anyway. plan, plan at that time compared to sort of my level of noise, now I was what you would call quite green. So Mm. I did use, I did use a lot of, or a couple of, sorry, local cyclists that had planned various routes around Ireland before, and they were able to advise me to, of certain roads to avoid and certain places to stay and certain places that I had to see or had to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, we did, we did do a lot of planning and, and like everything else, we had to plan A, B, C and D for the days things went wrong, which actually yeah. didn't happen, happen very often. The, the one thing that did go wrong in terms of planning and missing deadlines was the day we, caught, we crossed the river Shannon on the ferry from Kilmar to Kilrush, Amy actually had to go to the bathroom, uh, a wild toilet, we'll say, and while going to the bathroom dropped her phone, and actually didn't realize until we were actually at the ferry port about to board the ferry so we had to do a 30 kilometer drive back find the phone (sighs) and a 30 kilometer drive back to the ferry which meant that one day we were kind of racing to get to our our destination yes and during the entire tour too we we did a mix of camping and also staying with friends and family we we knew Mm -hmm. along the route so that was the only real night we were Anything didn't go to plan. Everything else went seamlessly. Our average speed was, was bang on. Uh, we were hitting our destinations before sunset. We were never riding in the dark. So everything was planned pretty well.
0: Very good, man. That's great. Have you done any other charity uh, tours like that uh, since? No. Uh,
1: I haven't done any charity tours. I've done a couple of what i would call charity one-day challenges. Of yes. Writing all day non stop.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, I, I always feel with the charity fundraising thing, there's so many people, either in work situations or family situations, that, and I'm all for charity stuff, people are always looking for something, be it for a 5k or a 10k or a marathon or a cycle mm. or whatever you're doing. I always find with the charity things, if I go to do another charity event, I want it to be a next step up from the previous one. So it has to be a real challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I do have some in mind, but I haven't done anything of that distance since as a okay. charity. right? I've yeah. done that distance since, but not a charity. event.
0: Yeah. Very good. Um, so back in 2013 as well, you were actually living in London, but you set up your own club. You got that, that much enjoyment out of it. You decided to open up a club. How did that go? Or, or what was the so real reason it was, for opening that? Well,
1: the club kind of came about, from uh, when I first moved to London, I was part of a triathlon club. And again, it was, it was quite early in my, maybe what you would say, career. Mm. Uh, I started taking charge of the weekly cycle events in this triathlon club. And I quickly found I sort of had a knack of, of maybe organizing people or keeping people in check or keeping people safe. And it's funny, this is where the bike general name has came from the then president of the club alluded that I enjoyed shouting at people and keeping them (laughs) in line and keeping them strict. So this American club president, he decided to call me the Bike General or the General.
0: Very
2: good.
1: And the General then, uh, over a few years of kind of processing and speaking to people, that then followed on to my business name. But in terms of the club, I kind of slowly moved away from triathlon and I tried to... I tried to fit in with a few other cycle clubs, but unfortunately, they didn't really work for me. I found that uh, they were on on rides that should have been enjoyable and should have been kind of include everyone and be be leisure rides. They were everyone wanted to race all the time, mm. and no one had any real dis or any real time for socializing or or looking after each other. It's about like being back in the schoolyard, Yes. Unless you were fast or unless you were good, you were, no one spoke to you or you were chosen last. Yeah. Uh, and even one club went as extreme as I was, well, I was once told that I couldn't ride with a particular club because my legs were too hairy. <laughs> so, <laughs> as a and serious,
0: they are one, hairy. They are and,
1: <laughs> and they are quite hairy. As a serious <laughs> road cyclist, you're you not permitted to have hairy legs. It's not, it's not cool. It's not fast. It's not hygienic. Uh, <laughs> hence to say, I did sort of make that person eat their words whenever I left them in a certain place one day. Right. Uh, their legs are still fast legs, no matter what <laughs> happens. So yeah, the club kind of came about because I could never find something that, that really suited me in terms of you know training and socializing. So I gradually grew up uh, or built up a, a group of guys that I really got on with and um we were friendly and, and we always looked out for each other out in the road and we understood the concept that even the fast riders can get a good workout and also look after the, the slower riders, which is a word I don't like using. Everyone's just, everyone's, I don't like saying slow, but
0: yeah, yeah, it would get so you. Yeah. We,
1: we, we built up as a, as a club. Uh, everyone had their input and, and as time went on, we built up from six members to 10 to 15. I think we now set at 22 members, which isn't huge, but it's the sort of thing that if it gets too big too fast, you lose your focus and it becomes like every other club. Mm. So, so we, we, we kept our kind of, we almost had our little mantra, if you, if you will, and we said, look, we're out to train, we're out to have fun, look after each other. When the time's right, we can, you know, as friends too, you also want to hurt each other. You get back to the cafe, you have a little laugh and you have a little bit of abuse. But again, other sports, but then the one that always stuck with, stuck with me was if you went on a 50 mile ride and if the slowest person wasn't able to keep up after 20 miles, it meant they had to ride home for 30 miles alone. And I remember one particular Saturday, it it happened to one of our guys in the group and I just knew he would get home and he just, you know, you arrive home on your own and you just feel down and demotivated and you don't want to do anything and you feel miserable. Mm -hmm. I've had it myself. And just after that, then we, we kind of really pulled together and, we figured that out, and uh, I don't think it ever really happened since oh because very good you know, we built up and built up gradually so,
0: very good man and uh, what are you doing within the club right now are you sort of did you take a back step from it or did you are you still sort of uh, in the scene in some way because you're obviously living in Derry now you're not in
2: london
1: I'm, yeah i'm I'm still active within the club but What's happened over the years, I've now left London, uh, it'll be almost two years ago. So, mm-hmm. we knew that was always coming. So, we, we I was kind of doing a lot of stuff within the club, kit orders and, and arranging rides and
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, taking sessions and, and also doing repairs and stuff that too. So, over time, we gradually delegated different jobs at different people. We got a committee together uh, and then... Yeah, instead of me doing everything, we now have say three or four people doing those, doing those little jobs that I would, I would have done, uh, which has worked out amazing. Like the people that have stepped up into those roles have just have really taken on board, and it's helped the club. Yeah, but it's also helped them on an individual level. Whenever you have the confidence to lead other cyclists, it really gives you an awareness then of how you're cycling. Yeah, and improves your cycling also. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the the student teacher sort of analogy you have to all you have to really do is stay a week ahead of the people you're teaching (laughs) and everything kind of works out so as long as I know what I'm teaching next week and I practice it then that week leading into it (laughs) and I'm qualified enough to Uh, (laughs) pass on that advice.
0: Very good Um, one one step ahead of the game Um, so you were doing like uh, mechanic and stuff there in the club as well um when did you was it like um uh, a little bit later you decided to take it to social media and kind of promote yourself as a mechanic then or how did that come about to, to the actual bike general then whenever you went sort of more into so the
1: the mechanic and kind of came about from uh i'm also a qualified engineer and i i my first experience of work was, was going to Australia and I love I love my job and then when I moved back to London, UK, I was doing the same same job but it wasn't the same atmosphere and the and the construction industry just didn't operate the same and mm. it was it was driving me mad to a point that I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning to go to work. Yeah. So this went on for a few months and it, it eventually came to head. I said, Look, I can't, can't live like this, can't go on because it's making me miserable down. So, I think it was January 2013, I handed my notice in at work, and for three months, I didn't do anything. I just I hung out with a friend, rode my bike, and thankfully, having a very supportive wife, this was kind of taken quite well.
2: Mm.
1: So Over those few months, uh, I started repairing my own bikes, and, and it actually came a day that I couldn't repair something. I took it to the shop, and they couldn't repair it either, so the stubbornness of them, he said, I'm going to get this fixed. And I did get it fixed. And things just gradually built up along along that way. So now saying that along the way, to fix certain things, there was things that I broke them even worse by trying to fix them. But that's sort of <laughs> how you learn okay, yeah. breaking my own stuff. So then I was still part of the triathlon club at this stage. I started fixing, doing some repairs for friends, the triathlon club. Uh, and then from there, things kind of just, word of mouth got round. Mm, and I started mm. doing more and more and I started building my business gradually. It started off, I was working in a small shed in my wife's father's backyard. Uh, I was collecting bikes by, I would cycle my bike to your house and I would cycle your bike back to mine. Yes. For a year. When I was finished then I would cycle it back and we'd swap back over. There was plenty of times where I was cycling your bike with another bike on my back cycling through central London
2: uh,
1: so then the shed then was expanded to a new shed which me and my wife's father built together uh, the shed then expanded into my garage on a, on, a, on a house that I bought in London which then expanded into working I, I started then renting a small space in a, another workshop which really helped in terms of uh getting my name out there more and then also it can be it can be a very lonely day when you're on your own all the time so just being in that having another mechanic there to chat to and to look over things or if you have a mental block and can't get something fixed Uh and then meeting more and more customers and that's kind of how it took off and yeah the social media and the advertising kind of thing just kind of went hand in hand as i as i started to expand Uh
0: Very good, man. Uh, I just grew steadily, slowly, and um, you know, it's it's a, it's something there. Now you're thinking of maybe starting again, or <laughs>
1: uh, Well, yeah, definitely, it is something I, I do want to start again. I one of, one of my biggest problems at the minute is similar to when I was in London. As I say, I, I gradually built up from small shed to bigger shed to yards to mm-hmm. shop. My next step in London was to buy a shop. And, and to be honest, I did have that opportunity. But cycling, it's a real, it's a real graft of a, of a job. You do have to put the hours in, which I don't mind. You put, you put the work in, you get paid almost like an hourly rate. But to step up to a bigger premises and holding stock and employing people, it's a big mm-hmm. jump. Mm-hmm. So you can't really be a medium-sized business. You've either got to be a small on your own boutique business, or you've got to be a large, spending hundred thousand pound a year on rent alone in London yes. kind of business yes. to, to make it to make it sustainable, make it a proper salary. So that was my sticking point. Both finding a premises, finding the cash to get that business up and running. Uh, that was my next step, but it just it, it just never really came to be. Yeah. Uh, and I would say in dairy at the minute I've if I was going to gradually build up something I can sort of skip the early steps of of working somewhere small mm-hmm. but again it, you still need that cash injection to get get stock in place and get things in place and pay for rent and that sort of thing. Yes. And it's it's a, it's a very tight business margin why you should, you know, the bikes, yep. bikes that might be expensive to buy. Like I know guys that own bikes that are the cost of a family car. But for the likes yes. of me to hold that bike in stock and sell it, the margins are very small, like fifteen, twenty percent maximum. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of a lot of risk involved. Yeah. In terms of in terms of cash and that and yeah, it's not there a, is. It's not a get rich industry. It's being a, being a bike mechanic is really a lifestyle choice. Yeah, it allows you that freedom. It allows you to meet people, like-minded people, and and sort of live in that. What what's your essentially what is your passion? Mixing mm-hmm. your hobby and your work.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say because it's more of that hobbyness uh, that yeah. you were. Uh, it's really got you started. But um, yeah. that being said, um, on your timeline there was a Everest Box Hill and. Leith Hill, there's a 24 hour challenge or something that you did one time. Could, what was that?
1: Uh, so, these are probably two of the stupidest things I've done on a bike. <laughs> stupid, <laughs> stupid but enjoyable. Uh, so the, the concept of everything on a bike is the, the really simplest explanation I give is you choose a hill, and say, for example, the hill is 100 meters in height. You have to do repetitions up and down that hill until you achieve the same elevation gain as of Everest, which is right, 8,000, 8,000 yeah. meters. So for example, Box Hill in in South London, it's it's this was the first one I did. It's it's used on the it was used on the Olympic route. Uh it's about five kilometers long. I think you get gain 140 meters. So I spent the day doing 73 repetitions of Box Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh and Long long story short, about the box hill version was the other with this challenge. The other uh, the other gain is that you have to be the first person to do that hill. So I was gearing up to do this hill, and on one of the social media platforms, a few days before, someone popped up saying, "I'm going to do this hill tomorrow," and this was a Thursday, and I was actually going to do the hill on a Friday. So again, long story short. Me and this other rider, we had friends in common. We spoke. Uh, I actually got up and left work, and I was going to do the hill that night to be the first person to do it. I was going to do it through the night. Right. And I went home, got all my stuff ready. I managed to find a friend in London who had a car. He was taking me down. And all of a sudden, my phone went, and it was the other cyclist who was planning to also do the hill. Mm -hmm. So we spoke, and I said, look, I'm going now. If you want to make it a race, we can have a race. That's fine. So hung the phone up. We spoke again. And I was, I remember being in the house, I was just buzzing with adrenaline. I was like, I'm gonna do it tonight. That's it. We spoke again, and I sort of sense from him that he wasn't going, and that gave me even more energy to go. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. You're not gonna be there, I'll be the first. So to skip down a bit, we ended up coming to the agreement and we did it together on the Friday. I stayed in his house that night, close to the hill. Uh we rode the hill together and it took us 24 hours to get up and down uh, and it was, it was a good day but it was a very surreal experience. I finished, at, I finished at 3 a.m. My wife had come down to South London or Box Hill on the train and at this stage we had no car. So the other guy, he was so exhausted, he got in his car with his dad and he just left. He didn't say anything. And here we were at 3 a.m. in the morning, standing at top Box Hill, which is more or less... If I had to give you a lo- local comparison, it would be like standing at Lockerboard at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we stand in the middle of Ness Woods forest at 3 in the morning. So We got a taxi, we got back to London, and that was, that was it. But this then led ever- on to... I, hadn't, I wasn't satisfied that it took us so long to, to finish this challenge, so I decided to do another one yeah so I then set out three weeks later and I chose another hill which in fact was the harder hill and I think it ended up taking me 13 hours on my own uh, it was a much harder challenge and I had a lot more support from my my friends and and that was another another good day out
0: did you ever speak to that other guy you did the the hill with or was that just a
1: no, we, we, we it was just we were both he was so tired that they just oh he just wanted to go home. It was actually yeah. at the end we almost had a little bit of a bit of a fight because he the thing was you had to do the the same height as Everest and he had miscounted and only done seventy two and I said look we've got to do another one. He says I'm not doing another one. He says that's okay I'll do another one alone. And lucky enough I did the other one and he followed me up. And we actually only succeeded the challenge by four meters. So if we hadn't did the last rep, we wouldn't have actually completed what we had set out to do.
2: How did
0: you actually count that, or?
1: Uh, you, well, I was keeping I was keeping count on my bicycle computer, and then also you can see on your computer elevation gain. So it adds up every meter you cycle up.
0: Up, yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah. But
1: the problem is, it's sometimes not very accurate because GPS can be. If, if the weather's bad or if yes. you have tree coverage you might not get an accurate gps signal so that can sometimes be off so i had already calculated i needed to 73 times and i kept pointing that's what that's what got us the end. yes very good.
2: very good
0: excellent um you also ha- have been in europe and and spain haven't you doing the mechanic in and riding and stuff as well um what was that like being away from london and being away from home as well and i'd say the weather and the lifestyle would have been totally different for you there
1: yeah the, the weather and the lifestyle were totally different and uh <laughs> have just been come go, going back to spain has become one of my main focuses really uh, this, this past while just I, dro- I seem to drop it in a conversation everywhere uh <laughs> I, I do want to get back to it, but Spain, Spain, kind of came about from as I say, I got to that point in London where I either needed to do something different or take my business up to that, you no, know, invest the money, buy a bigger premises, start employing people. I was kind of in limbo of what I had to do, mm. so I decided I would I would take a job in Spain as a mechanic with a company called Free Motion and get gain some more experience, make more mechanics see what other opportunities were out there for say doing bike guiding or, or arranging holidays for other cycles you just get a different way of life and we had that opportunity yes. to do that. Uh so we spent seven months in Spain and we 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 had a great time. It was, it was a real eye opener of of what else is out there. And just to get back to what you said, the main appeal is the weather. Mm-hmm. I was in Grand Canaria and Gran Canaria is not exaggerating, it's all year round sunshine, it's minimum 16 degrees, 17 degrees, and it's just fantastic all year round, it's an easy way of life, there's no stress, Uh, everything is just simple, the only only issue in that part of the world was that uh, the salary in comparison to say your rent or your your cost of living was actually quite low. Uh, so our, sal- our, our, our rent would have been like 70% of your salary. Wow. And the reason for that was that Grand Canary is a, is a hotspot for Europe- Europeans to retire to. So say older Norwegians or Scandinavians, they would buy properties there. And with them being quite an African country, they drove the price of rent and, and various other services up. Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was an expensive place to live in terms of what you were earning but uh you could also live live cheaply however we we knew you were there for a short time and we decided to enjoy ourselves while you were there and we just uh, we did what we had to do without being too extravagant
0: yeah that's great man That's a great experience um the there was a couple of things I wanted to kind of uh take away from that like you mentioned the business side of things that you were over there working with that company. Do you reckon you could implement stuff like that in tours and, and, and maybe expand on like mechanic and um, here or wherever you go. Could you take that experience and, and use it, utilize it like here or, or London or.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, definitely. Cause I, I, you know, I did learn a lot of stuff out there. One of my main attractions for going out there was, my work in London was predominantly and still is predominantly what I would call high-end road bikes. You no, know, your your weekend riders or your racers. Mm. I never turned a bike away. I would service anything. But in London, it was pre- predominantly high-end stuff. What I hadn't worked on too much was mountain bikes and, and e-bikes, yeah. electronic battery bikes. And they're something, the e-bikes especially are something that are growing and are going to continue to grow over the coming years.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I again, that experience is something that I've definitely brought Brought away from my time and speed, and as I now know how to repair, or I now know uh, what good brand to recommend is. I'm making other mechanics too. You learn a lot of little tricks Mm -hmm. that you know to make your to make your job easier, and you learn like different setups. If you if you were to have a another workshop, you see things that you like and see things you don't like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, definitely was a was a worthwhile experience. And as I say, it's it's it is something in mind that long-term I'm working back towards is, is going back there, but going back there to start a business of my own.
2: Yeah. I did a
1: couple of test runs of like, uh, I, I, I brought friends out, and I brought them out on a, a, a sort of professional basis. I said, look, I'll put together all your flights. I'll get your accommodation. I'll get your bikes. Uh, I'll feed you for the week. I'll wash all your clothes. And we did like a trial run for five days with, with, with five friends,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I said to them, "Look, you've got to be honest and critical, and tell me what works and what doesn't work." And that that was a good dry run for the potential to open a business and and have a have a B and B and offer cycle tours and repairs and mm-hmm. and everything else. Because I'm kind of at a stage now, and again, not to not to brag or blow me a horn, but I I sort of feel like I can do anything in cycling I can do the the guiding and the repairs and the bike fits and the given advice where mm-hmm. you get a lot of say guide for example that if a, if you have a problem on the road they can't fix the bike yeah uh, so I, I just I feel I have a lot to offer but i'm just at that point where i've got to well simple analogy is i've got to make my skills pay the bills yeah I've got to really <laughs> maximize uh, I enjoy it when i do it. I've got to maximize my, my knowledge and, and what I'm good at. And this is, this is what I'm good at. Yeah. And what
0: you enjoy doing as well.
1: And what I enjoy doing. Yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned a, a, a list there of stuff of what you're kind of good at and what you, I want to talk about training and your approach to training. Um, you, I kind of wanted to see if you were kind of like, because you have that engineering Mindset or thought process um, using sort of gadgets and, like, like you had in that bike, that elevation tool um, to kind of keep you right. Do you use your heart rate monitors? Do you go off feel? What is your approach? Um, and you know, what would you say is probably the most important, or what have you learned from starting and? And what would you recommend to kind of for anyone to do if they want to look after themselves for a long sort of period of time in cycling?
1: Yeah. How long have we got? Have we got four hours in this?
0: I try and summarize it. Do you like, like, yeah. do you do your long story short?
1: <laughs> this is this is the thing when it comes to bikes. Like, I before I moved away from home, I wouldn't consider myself to be a particularly chatty person. But when it comes to cycling and bikes and everything else. <laughs> I often have to say to customers or clients or anyone else, look, if I'm giving you too much information or talking too much, just tell me and I'll, I'll rewind a bit. But uh, my, my approach to training was I tried, I tried a lot of different things. So, so my approach was try it. If it worked, put it on my, put it on my list of, of things to, to keep at. If it didn't work, I, I didn't repeat it. So mm. I never really took too much of a, too much of a record. All my data, my heart rate, my my power, my uh, in cycling, you get like fitness, fatigue. You get stress scores. Yeah. Uh, you can input all your data into certain programs or calculators, and they give you out like, uh, TSS and CTL, which I'm not going to elaborate on because it's not. Yes. It's not what I know. I know yeah. of it, but I don't know yes. it well enough to give other people advice on it. Yeah. My approach was always quite sort of foundation and fundamental. Uh, one of the basics would be, if I was training for something specific, if I, felt, if I felt good or if I felt like I was recovered and had no fatigue, I would, I would go hard and I would, I would destroy myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And really, really fatigue my body and put it under stress. But then on the flip side of that, what I did really well, which a lot of people don't quite get was, when I rested, or if I was doing recovery, I, I I really recovered well. I recovered quickly because I didn't do anything. I didn't keep hammering the door and keep
2: ruining yes. my body.
1: When I knew I had to recover and rest, I I, I, I rested, and what that led to was uh, achieving my goals and getting fit quite quick. But I and I also I can't remember the last time I had a cycling-related injury. I've never had like. Uh, tore muscle or something that stopped me from cycling. Mm-hmm. And that was just from looking after my body and, and recovering properly and stretching a lot. And I never get, a lot of guys will often say to me about getting cramp on a bike. Yeah. yeah. Something I've never had in my life. And I attest that to uh, proper nutrition, both on and off the bike without being too strict. Yeah. I, I eat well, but I also eat, I have a sweet tooth. I, I love my, my junk food. Like some of the stuff I've eaten. You can see in a couple of my, of, my, uh, of my race reports or my ride reports some of the stuff I've ate over the space of a day. It's quite <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, and with the stretching too and implementing things like yoga and, and foam rolling, they all sound you know the sort of thing you don't have time for. Mm-hmm. But something you really have to make part of your week. For example, yeah. if I, needed, I had 10 hours to train, I wouldn't spend 10 hours on the bike. I might spend eight and a half hours on the bike and set aside an hour, hour and a half for, for, for all the post-ride things yeah. that are just as important. Uh, same in the winter. I, I always, over the last five years, I've been quite strict on doing a winter gym routine, doing cer- certain lifts and a bit of core exercise. And you don't have to do much. I would often go to the gym and 40 minutes I would go in knowing what, exactly what I was doing. And I'd also have an alternative if someone was either using that machine or it wasn't available. So I wasn't faffing around. I was just in, get it done and back out. Yeah. And I, 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 got exactly what I needed. I got the benefit and I was able to just, uh, progress in there and myself I myself taking over.
0: I did have, I remember one client that I had who was a cyclist and one of the dairy clubs who might've been foil. And, um, wanted to come with me wanted to be stronger wanted um and the, and what all i did was um basically do a lot of core do yep. more of the strength um elements um hmm. squat um even bench um build up his back as rows. obviously then because he's a lot more core engagement with that and the mobility um, just working on hip mobility um, you know, lower back um, stuff that can just really tighten up even around the upper back and shoulders. I felt that he was really lacking in, in mobility. So those just three things, strength exercises, just a simple five by five routine and eventually just, adding on the weight as your progressive overload. Yeah. Um, but this was someone who was a complete beginner in the gym as well. You know, yeah. so getting the foundation correct, getting the movement correct, um, engaging the proper muscles um, and just knowing the general public. Um, this guy was at a, the desk all day as well so mm-hmm. um, knowing having tight half flexors um, just knowing those wee things that I could implement and he found a brilliant um, found um, more power he was saying even on hill climbs or if they were going for a sprint that he had more to give um, just through those simple things yeah. Um, th- th- how, what sort of did you do i know you're kind of in and out of the gym but were you following um a template for strength or was it kind of more um reps or what what sort of things were you doing in the gym
1: yeah well that was one of my confusions on the, on, the, on the early days when i started in the gym my main confusion was exactly what you said should i be doing strength or reps should i be doing three by 10 or five by five And over the years, I I found that the 5x5 worked better for me. I would do heavy weight and light reps. But again, it's a progressive build. At the start of the gym block, you might be leg press and 100 kilos, and then you gradually build it up. And that also comes to, it's it's great having someone there that can advise you and tell you, but most of my stuff came about from just self-awareness and and knowing when something was either too heavy or it wasn't beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. and I just kept it simple I was just re- like most like most things if you want to get good at something you know people talk about the the 10,000 hours if you want to get excel at yeah. something you spend 10,000 hours on it my thing was I just repeated and repeated and repeated the same exercise I didn't do much variation mm-hmm. uh, I just made sure I hit the main groups and, and that just took it from there and you can then also the repetition allows you is it allows you to track the progress you can see over the space of a month or six weeks, that six weeks ago I was lifting that, and now lifting that. There's yes. my progress. That's my motivation to, to keep going at it. Yes. Uh, and yeah, try not to overdo it and, and not, not push things too far. There is a time and a place to push things too far, but for me, lifting weight in the gym wasn't that thing. I, I never pushed myself. Like, it was
0: just off-season.
1: Yeah, yeah. I never put myself in that spot of either getting injured or... I knew I could lift more, but I never went a hundred percent. Yeah, I was getting enough from what I was doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and again, you mentioned about making the time to do the yoga and stuff. Like, you could you could be doing or watching Netflix or something and you could be doing simple trigger points with uh, a trigger ball or a yep. foam roll um, yep. stretching as well, just yoga poses. Um, would you have done like uh, the pigeon hold or what, what sort of poses would you have done for yoga? Would you have done a full body or um, would you just I've work just, on weaknesses?
1: Like again, It's something that sort of developed over time. Like you'll have your different, uh, you'll have your different yoga routines like your sun salutations or your different practices like a stanga or nasa that.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, over the years, I've sort of tried different types of yoga and then say, if I was doing a post-ride stretch, I would just incorporate in what really, what sort of worked for me yeah. to get a downward dog, to really get my hamstrings stretched out or, mm. or do a pigeon pose to get my hip flexor stretched out. Mm. and just, whatever felt tight, I would, I would, I would do at that time. And again, to say coming towards the end of the ride, I knew I was going home to do my stretch. I would start thinking about my stretch. Mm-hmm. Same as going to the gym, I would know what I was going to do. I would start thinking about my stretch yes. as I was coming to the house. So I knew I was going in, I was doing that. And just feeling Again, a
0: going off, basically going off the feel of the ride. Like one day, would your back be tighter than your hips? Or yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Going off feel. I think that's a lot of people need to be more aware of how their body is and how what what needs to be worked out. Like a lot of people will follow a program and maybe follow it to the T and maybe they're at a day where if they went heavy they would pull a hamstring or something in a yeah. certain exercise. I think working off field. But there's that gray area also where, you know, whenever you say I'm tired, yeah. But there's that gray area of you're just being lazy as well. So it's kind of yeah, how do how do you work that? How do you?
1: Well, for me, what I always would tell myself was a, a, a good sign of a confident athlete was if if you left that morning and you said, right, I'm going to do I'm going to do ten hard efforts today, or I'm going to lift a hundred kilograms. Say if you got into the first one or two efforts and you weren't quite feeling it, or you knew it wasn't doing you any benefit, mm. but you should be confident enough in your in your and your ability, and your progress, and your current fitness, you say, okay, it's not doing me any good. I'm going to do myself damage. I'll just stop. I'll try it another day. Mm-hmm. But you will get a lot of people that will try and push through. And again, there is a time and a place to push through
2: mm-hmm.
1: the pain, a certain type of pain, not not damaging pain, more yeah. uh, gaining fitness type of pain or mental pain. But I say a sign of a confident athlete can can step back during or middle of the session and say, look, it's not doing me any good. I'm going to modify it here. we am just make it an easy day. Have a stretch have a little spin my legs, I'll try again in a couple of days' time. Uh, so that's kind of was, was, was my approach. So I, as I say, going back to what I said at the start, I, I knew when to go hard and it would be beneficial and I knew when to back off mm-hmm. and, and it's going to be more good in the long run. And then I also sort of got, when my training was really ramping up for an event, I'd often ask myself, and I might say very cliche and I'm not one for cliches or gimmicks, but I would generally often ask myself at the start of a session, what am I going to gain today from from doing this? Mm -hmm. What am I going to, how is this going to get me to my next level or progress me or how is this going to be advantageous when I come to my actual event? And and that really helps too. Uh, Just actually knowing what you're, instead of knowing what you're actually doing, knowing what you're going to gain from what you're doing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's Uh, a
0: big part of it. Um, I like the idea of using cycling for, other sports and you know you you did you went to your your triathlon training and stuff as well you're swimming you're cycling yeah. you're running um out of those three i mean anybody in an off season such as say a field sport such as soccer and stuff like would you be an advocate of them doing those sort of things uh, to kind of help fitness and you know uh, and adapt their body, um, even in the off season. What's your thoughts on that? You know, f- for using it as a, a as a as an a an addition to their their specific sport.
1: Yeah, basically, basically some cross training. I'm I'm a big advocate of of doing alternative sports that that work different muscles and or the same muscles in different ways during mm. the off season. The like guy used to do I wouldn't say a lot, but I would do some climbing, again, like yeah. climbing walls uh, back in the day, and that helped quite a lot uh back when i was doing some of the triathlon work like i i could swim but i wouldn't class myself as a swimmer
2: yeah
1: uh and i'll I, a lot of my friends in london will, this is something i get regular abuse about uh it's not the hair legs, is it I, it's not so much <laughs> the hair and legs, it's more that some reason i sink i actually work <laughs> so hard to stay up in the water uh, i love i'd love to run too but again what comes with the running in my eyes is it has so much impact in your body that, uh, and I've sort of told myself this much, this thing so much that I put myself off running. It puts so much impact in your body that no matter how well conditioned you are, or no matter how uh, strict you are with your regime, regime and your rest and your stretching, as a runner, you're always going to be injured in some way. Uh, be it chin splints or, or foot problems or mm. just putting pressure on your balls, your hips. Uh, and even recently, like I, I've again something I got recently abused about was I have I've run a fast well well what some people consider a fast five K about four or five years ago and I went out recently and ran a five K as part of this NITS five for five for five thing yeah, challenge with yeah. a friend. And I think I was four minutes slower than my personal best and it was the most painful thing I've done in a couple of years, I was literally sore for a week. Wow. Just going on this one, one five-kilometer run. <laughs> uh, so to get back to your initial question in terms of cross-training for people in other sports, as a cyclist, I'm always going to recommend cycling because it's, it's cardio-based. You can control your, your effort level. You, know, you can pick your route. If you want just an easy ride, stay in the flats. Mm-hmm. If you want to increase your your high heart rate VO two max effort, you go and do some hills. It's got no impact on your body. Uh, like you can incorporate your your cycling into say making having your errands, going to post office, or going cycle and seeing somebody. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and and swimming's another one. Swimming is again no impact on your body. All you have to do in swimming is master the technique and actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And don't try and go to the pool and try and swim 20 lengths if you can't swim. Just go and swim one or two, have a break. You know, yes. Everything is better than doing nothing. It yes. just gradually build up. And the one thing is if you're, if you, I would say is if you're going to start something out, don't try and do too much too soon. Because if you try yeah. and do too much too soon, you're, you're going to A, put yourself off, and B, most likely injure yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, so don't be measuring yourself against anyone else. Just gradually build yourself up. Take it easy. If you are going to start running, like I would say go and instead of running the pavements, go and run running a pitch or go and run the grass or go and run the beach. Yeah, the
0: softer grass. Yeah. The,
1: softer, the softer ground is so much ground. better for you.
0: The one You mentioned one word there with this woman, which was technique. Now, what I find with people in running too, though, um, a lot of it is mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of these... Running shoes—they've got a big, thick heel. People are running heel toe, which is, in my opinion, yeah. the wrong technique. Your heel shouldn't be hitting the ground. That I think it's something like four times your body weight. If as soon as your heel hits the ground, it shoots up through your knee, up through your hip, and your hip. So, you—you you are right in what you're saying. Like the just the compound and the pounding that you're putting your body through. But there's a technique to running, and I see a lot of people. Who, who do go out run, they have that heel toe technique and it's, it's not good on the body. If you uh, land in that first quarter of your, of your foot, your, your yeah. heel kind of sponge, just skim the ground. And then, and, and your calf muscle is almost like a, a cushion or a spring where, where it's, it's absorbing that impact. Um, yeah. And so, like technique and stuff, uh, for even for the running is is a big, big part part of um, the injuries that you were talking about. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: I know what you mean. Well, the big one you hear if you're if you're out walking or if you're somewhere a runner passes you, the one I often hear, but well, maybe an inexperienced runner is, as you say, that the the heel strike first. What mm. you hear is you'll hear the front foot then slapping the ground. Yeah, and that's. It, I can't give massive opinions running because it's not my area of expertise but mm. uh, there there is different techniques both for different people and depending on what type of run you're doing for example, if you were doing a four hundred meter sprint, you'd be up on your toes nice and light if you're doing mm. a marathon you'd be let's say you'd be flat foot striking and trying to avoid that slap on the ground and try and be efficient and waste a little energy uh I think if if, if I was going to start Building up running, one of the first things I would do is I would go and I wouldn't say get my feet sized up, but buying the correct shoes is a big yep. part of running. Whether or not you're you're have a high arch or a low arch, if you've got yeah. a, a wide foot. You know the foot supports a, a big key of running. Something I have in my cycling is I have I have insoles in my shoes that support my arch
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they made a massive difference to my cycling. Uh, things like the position my legs were moving the position my hips and then also yes. uh to stop my feet getting going my toes were no longer going numb because the blood could flow easily through my foot because it was the pressure was equal all around it
2: Very so
1: good. going back to the running yeah the first thing I would do if I had if I started running and I enjoyed it and I was gradually building up the miles I would invest in getting my feet sized up properly. Uh, cost the custom insoles if, you're, if you needed something like that and then build up gradually from, from that position.
2: Good advice, I think. Um,
0: I think uh, we've, we've covered quite a bit about your story and what you've done. And um, I like, is there anything on the training or is there anything that you, mistakes that you've made that you could rectify or, you know, um, that you've learned Mm -hmm. and that you would sort of give people uh, the advice for, just as a final summary or anything like that?
1: Well, something I've always, I've always been quite competitive and and most things I've done over the years, I've been, I've been reasonably good at, maybe bar playing Gaelic football, I've always, I've won a few things, but (laughs) I was never really a good Gaelic footballer. I played a lot of snooker, I was quite good at that. And then as I started cycling, I, over the years, I realised what my kind of forte was, and my forte is long distance cycling. Yeah. Forte is spending day after day after day on the bike, uh, riding. As I say, I've done now like two well, two and a half laps of Ireland, uh, and I'd also learned that on, on one of the one of the races I did, I kind of got a bit carried away, not from my. From my own kind of understanding, I got carried away from other people telling me I was going to win. And this was my first time going around Ireland, and I only lasted a day, a day and a half. I spent, I spent the first day, I rode, like, rode 460 or 70 kilometers, and I got to Donegal, and my hands, I damaged the nerves in my hands so badly that I could no longer brake or change gears or hold the handlebars. Right lucky enough I was close enough to home that my father would come and love me and take me back home. <laughs> uh, so, I'd say the big thing I learned is don't get too carried away. And if you're out to compete and win, then that's fine. But if you're out just to be there and, and take part, just try and enjoy it. And uh, don't get too hung up on being results. And I, I started telling myself, I would, I would often decide if I was going to a race, I would say, okay, am I going to be a competitor? as in compete and maybe get on the podium or win, or am I going to be a completer? So what I learned from my transatlantic way ride right around Ireland, the first time was that I went and did it again two years later. I was much more relaxed and I just did my own thing and I was a completer. I completed it yeah. after after the initial failure. So yeah, takeaway would be just be confident in your own ability and decide what you want to achieve and don't worry about anyone else or no you can't control anyone else or some outside influences so just do your own thing and try and enjoy it mainly
0: excellent uh just as you say that and about all their influence and stuff mindset uh do you do any stuff or read anything or follow anyone with which you would work on your mindset
1: uh, one of the things I, would, I was doing in the lead-up to, to endurance races was I would read a lot of mountain climbing books. So I'd read like Touching the Void or uh, John Krakauer's In the Thin Air but the Eversting Expeditions. And what this did for me was it gave me a perspective on what suffering actually was. You know,
2: yes.
1: Here these guys, top of a mountain. They might only have one cereal bar in their pocket for two days. They're low in <laughs> air. Sort of, their, their feet are falling off. Their nose is pure black. And I would often, if I was suffering on the bike, if I was having maybe a bad day or a bad couple of hours, I would refer back to their pain and I would say, look, I'm on a bike in the middle of, close to a city, I can go to a shop anytime I want, I can stop at the side of the road and have a little lie down or a nap. You know, this, this, is, this isn't suffering, this should be enjoyable. And that, yes. it, really, it really worked for me. But so I'd read one of these books in the lead up to, to whatever event I was doing and that was kind of my mindset. Uh, in terms of, kind of being there and being in the moment and keeping myself motivated. I think back to what I was saying to you to start, if I was having a particularly tough time or if there was something I was struggling on that I had done before, I would tell myself, look, I've done this before. I know I can do it again.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, No matter how fit or unfit I was that time or no matter how sore or suffering. But in saying that, again, back to the know when they push hard and, and when they do things. There has been times where I have been suffering so much that at one time in particular I've been suffering so much that I probably pushed beyond what I should have done and I damaged my body permanently Uh, I was cycling across France and I damaged my Achilles tendons so badly that I couldn't continue to ride the bike clipped in with the special shoes and I was adamant to finish this ride and I still had like I had 400 kilometers to get back to Paris. Shit. And so the stubborn side of me took my shoes off and put them up inside the back of my jersey or jacket or whatever it was. I went into Toledo in a small town in France and I bought a pair of trainers. And again, this, this was coming from my knowledge base. I, I knew I could do some things to help myself. Mm-hmm. I bought a pair of trainers. I bought some duct tape. And I taped my ankle so that there's no dorsiflex or flex in my foot. Yep. And I lowered my saddle and I pedaled the last 400 kilometers back to Paris on my heels, basically. And I, I just, I kept telling myself, I've, I've done this before, I can do it again. I'm nearly there. You know, and that was, that was one time where I sort of went too far. I, in hindsight, I wouldn't probably do that again because I suffered mm-hmm. then for months afterwards
2: mm-hmm.
1: with damaged tendons. But a summary of that would be just know when to know when not to push and know when to respect your body and know when it's worth it and when it's not worth it. Yes. And when you're going to do some lasting damage.
0: Yeah. There's a good, there's a book, I'm actually listening to you on Audible right now. I think you would like it. And there's a scenario similar to that. It's Mm -hmm. Ant Middleton, um, the fear bubble. And he, do you know the Celebrity SAS show? Yeah. So he's the, 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 commanding officer sort of on that and he and one of the examples he gave is one of the people in the SAS camp um had he do laps carrying some boulder but he was that far behind um he and was telling them to just give up you know you're doing more damage than than good you're not sort of you're holding the team back and this guy just kept going kept going and what he did was uh, took the people who were lapping him, took him out and did different exercises on the side. But this other yeah. gentleman, he, he just kept going. He, he wouldn't listen to him it. But there, it's, that, it's the, that scenario with you there now, you know, you taped yeah. up your ankles and stuff. You you went on through it, caused more damage than, you know, good. Um, yeah. it, that's whenever your ego, he's saying, this guy was kept going around, was causing his comrades to be in this pain um, you just have to know when to stop as well yeah. uh, and not feed your ego. So that was an interesting point that I, you know, that he, he brought up as well. So um, that, I think you would enjoy that book.
1: Yeah. I, no, I say, I don't, I say I regret doing that, but <laughs> I actually don't regret doing that. <laughs> it was, it, it was, It's another thing to add to my mental, uh, my mental bank that again, I knew I suffered like that before. I can, I can do it again, not that
2: I would want to.
1: Right. But it will happen to me someday. Someday when I'm riding around the world and I'm suffering in the middle of uh, China somewhere, I'll have to do that again probably.
0: Cool. Um, but I, I thank you so much for uh, spending the time here with me, going over uh, everything you've done in, the, in, yeah. in cycling. Um, good luck with the bike general again. Um, people can yeah. follow you there on Instagram. Do you have a Facebook page as well or...
1: Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Strava, Twitter, most of the social medias. I'm under the bike general. Uh, so any anything you need or need done, or I'm back up and running in there from yesterday. So if you need a bike repaired <laughs> and you don't feel like standing in the shop, <laughs>
0: really give give you a shout. Yeah, excellent, sir. Um, I'll be in touch. Um, and 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 thanks again for your for your time.
1: Yeah. From, no I just can I just say one more thing. What thanks to me, uh, thanks to my wife for all the support over the years. Oh, yes,
0: yes. Oh, we can't leave her right. Uh, that's right. Good shot lad. Okay, um, thanks a million. I'll chat to you later. Cheers.